0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 67th episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. I'm your host, SBJ, and with me today, I have Alan. Hey, that's me. Quick thing about me, number 16. I'm a huge fan of the Squatty Potty. Changed my life. And the person crunching on chips, even though they said they weren't going to, is Sean. Well, that's not me.
1: That's Alan. That's totally me. I'm the one. (laughs) (laughs) Son of a... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> hey how's it going guys here, here <laughs> we all are uh we have a uh, this and uh this is a podcast about board games tabletop games games you can play on and under your table thank you for joining us we are going to start off with a special announcement i don't know who's Ooh. announcing it though if it's alan or if it's sean or if it's it's definitely not me, I'll tell you that. I'm just I'm just building it up. I'm just adding the suspense. So uh, one of you guys can take it away as soon as I am done talking. We'll see not how
1: it. we can bounce this back and forth. We'll try to do it at the same time, Sean. The, the, how about you say a word, and then I'll, and say, then yeah, I'll yeah. say something. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. This is good podcasting. The. Uh, <laughs> all right, so it's the... Necroboomicon Kickstarter date. ba da ba da ba da Woo! Oh, you gave it already. I All gave right. it already. I'm going to score one, Sean. So the actual Kickstarter date will be the last day in January, so we fulfill our promise of launching it in January, which will be pretty much a week from the release of this podcast episode, which is the 31st. Woo!
0: Woo! Yeah, End of January. Your Kickstarter on January 31st, I noticed as a backer of your second Kickstarter that surveys went out. Is there anything to discuss there? Yeah, our surveys did go out for World Championship,
2: Russian Roulette. Um, anything to discuss? I learned that a lot of people don't know how the survey system works on Kickstarter, and you can't assume that everyone, even though in board gaming it's such a ubiquitous thing, you're always getting new people who've never used it before. So people, are, you know, wrote me a bunch of emails saying like, "I didn't get a survey." And I said, "Log into Kickstarter," and they said, "There it is," because you know they just don't know. They get the they get the update in their email inbox, and they think they're going to get a survey in the inbox. That kind of thing. Um,
1: yeah, this is another big one that I try to explain the best that I could. It's pretty standard, par for the course for Kickstarter, that you can add on copies of the game, and we were no exception. So if you added on twenty five dollars to your pledge. So basically, if you pledged at the $25 pledge level, but then added in another $25 for a $50 total, we have the two questions. How many additional copies of Two Rooms and a Boom did you buy? How many additional copies of World Championship Russian Roulette did you buy? And a lot of people said, oh, I bought an additional copy, when they didn't, because I guess they're confused with additional. But... That always happens. Most people, no is, problem. Real, real just talk. the rare thing. Real talk.
0: Yeah. Is that worth the hassle?
1: Um, for World Championship
2: Russian Roulette specifically, a lot of people up their pledges uh, mid campaign to include second copies of World Championship Russian Roulette and um, additional copies of Terms and a Boom once we made that available. So for us, it absolutely is because usually it's just. Either an email confirms it, or we can look at the math. We could just say, well, this is how much money you gave us, so obviously this is what you're getting, right? Like, somebody pledged at the $25 level and gave us $25 and said that they wanted one additional copy of World Championship Pressure Roulette. Obviously, they meant that they wanted one copy, and they just misread it wrong.
1: Right. It just means that logistically, when we're fulfilling orders, we have to double check. We can't just look at one column and say, oh, they get two copies. We have to look at what their pledge amount was and see if it's legit for the additional copy. So we talked about using a pledge manager, but here's my fear with using a pledge manager, as many projects do. Pledge manager is supposed to make it even clearer as to add-ons, because once they say, you have your Kickstarter that you paid for, now here's this whole menu of other things you could add on, and then you see it just like an Amazon cart, where when you click on one, you see the price added on to your total. However, I'm always concerned that's just opening up a whole nother bevy of problems, where we'll get messages saying, hey, I'm used to filling out surveys on Kickstarter, how am I supposed to set up a new account with Pledge Manager and all this other jazz? I'm not sure, but I know that I'm a member since I'm a Kickstarter act addict of a whole bunch of different pledge managers, and they save my profile, so it's no problem for me when a company uses pledge manager. But they also take a slice of your pie.
0: What? That's true. What I mean, though, is so you're saying that you know somebody's pledging at the $25 level and they bump up their pledge to 50 because they want two copies of a world championship Russian roulette, and maybe you're maybe you're seeing that you know. 10% of everyone in that tier upped their pledge to 50. Why wouldn't instead you just make another tier that, says, that is a $50 tier that says you get two copies of the game? And then you're not looking at a second column when you're doing fulfillment. You know, okay, these are my sure. one copy. These are my. I'm just saying, like, I'm sure you guys thought yeah. about it's that. It's a
1: really simple answer, real simple answer. And that is that we have two products, World Championship Russian roulette, and two rooms in a boom. And the pledge levels we had were 1 a copy of World Championship Russian Roulette or 2 a copy of World Championship Russian Roulette and two rooms and a boom. The problem comes in with all the combinations you can come with because we could have another pledge level that says, "Oh, just two rooms and a boom, but why would you be going a Kickstarter for World Championship Russian Roulette for two rooms and boom or a uh, copy two copies of World Championship Russian Roulette, we could have made that pledge level, but where do you stop? When do you say Hey, so it, simplifying it would just be, hey, we have these two pledge levels, either game two or game two and game one, and then just add on anything else you want to, if that makes sense, instead of having a ton of pledge levels.
0: No, no, I, I that makes sense. I'm just saying as you've, as doing Kickstarters in the past, it would probably make more sense if you, if you did, let, let's say eight Kickstarters and you know that no one ever adds three copies but a bunch of people add two copies so that's where the okay let's just make a pledge level for two copies because we know that's popular but and we know only one out of a thousand people want three copies so let's just not worry about that and just deal with that email only because that might be
2: yeah over over time we'll start to see a trend line for sure um we definitely get way more people who want two than three four five but you always get like you always get like two people that want twelve like that are retailers in Singapore yeah. or something like that. But yeah, no, I mean, for every the game, other it's different too. Was,
1: the other monkey wrench was that you can combine two copies of world championship Russian roulette to have a 12 player game. So a lot of people at the second pledge level said, Oh man, I don't want to get world championship Russian roulette and two rooms in a boom. Can I switch it to just two copies of world championship Russian roulette? And rather than having to tell them, Hey, well, You should probably cancel your pledge to this pledge level and pledge for the prior pledge level of just World Championship Russian Roulette and add on. Maybe we should have made a pledge level for two copies of World Championship Russian Roulette at that time. But, you know, if we did that, I'm sure someone would say it would have been so much easier if you just said add on. So I don't know. It's it's there's always going to be some type of logistical issues somewhere.
0: Yeah, just talking out loud, I suppose. Well, that's exciting. Oh, yeah. are, are you still shooting for that February date, then, that sur- since surveys went out?
1: Hell yeah! Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we're right on schedule. We're pretty excited. We're trying to remove that little bit of a reputation we may have gotten with our two rooms in a boom being late.
0: Yeah, it was only a little... It was only a tiny bit late. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move into... Uh, <laughs> What do you
1: apply, SBJ? I've it was needed. a year late. Be fair. It was a year late from the said deadline.
0: Yeah, no, totally. As I'm not trying to defend you guys, because really, I have I have no say I have no stake in your company. But as somebody who also backs a lot of Kickstarters, a year late isn't really that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, comparatively,
1: we're a first time <laughs> project, we're just excited to show off that we've learned our lessons.
2: Yeah, it's always a process. You know, we. we We have to work on both the games and we have to work on what we call the factory, which is our process of making games. Manufacturing and shipping and freighting included. Every time there's something new that we didn't know before. This time I learned a lot more about customs and um, all the sort of little cogs that go into that mechanism. Um, Whereas the manufacturing process this time was a lot easier because we were using all known components, you know? Um, And so we didn't have this like plastic card issue that was uh, one of the larger reasons for why we were so late on Terms of a boom. We also outsourced more. We hired a graphic designer, we hired illustrators. We didn't have to do it all in-house. Um, and we're very lucky to be able to do that. A lot of indie guys can't afford to do that, you know? Um, or certainly not of the caliber that I think we had with guys like Adam McIver and Weber and Santiago. And so that's just the kind of stuff that like, you hope you get better at every year, is that you're able to work with better and better people and that you understand the process better and better we'd like to get to where we have 98 percent of everything completed before kickstarters um in the future i think
0: bullet question bullet round Uh, alan what's the longest you've waited for a single kickstarter i
1: still haven't gotten some so it's ongoing so i would say at this point five six years follow-up quick bullet question do you expect them to ever ship to you (laughs) No, no. So there was one game that I was in for $300 because I asked for myself and my wife to be made into it. And that game just stopped providing updates and it was a trickle of an update. And eventually I found the designer on Facebook and the designer just said, I'm going through depression. I gave up on my Kickstarter projects, et cetera. And now I'm going to try to be a stand up comedian. So that pro- That's $300. I'll never see it again. <laughs> Whoa. You're <pretty> funny, buddy. <laughs> what That's... was the name of that, that game again? Commissioned 3v3. I
0: don't know. All right. I think the longest I'm waiting on one is it's going to be four years in November. And their last update might have been, I want to say October of last year so four months ago now I have little to zero faith in that product being delivered but what can you do it's, it's kickstarters it's not a store speaking of kickstarter catastrophes you guys hear about crash of games no
1: yeah I didn't hear about it being a catastrophe or maybe i guess he didn't
2: meet
0: he's, he's
1: closing shop he's making delivery and patrick is officially out. so crash of games is shutting their doors
0: does this fall under like hell. gaming gossip because i thought that the board game table people geek chic that i thought they merged they merged and then they let patrick go
1: this is all available on his kickstarter which recently came to a close which was save crash games and you could get two games and he was very upfront and honest. In fact, Will Wheaton actually did a tweet about it. So he had some celebrity backing in that. And he said, hey, I only need to send out these games. But realistically, if I sell enough, I can save the future of Crash Games because they are in debt. And I'm not really spilling anything that Patrick himself has not spilled so it's not gossip. In debt. how much did he need to keep going as a
2: company? I see you raised thirty-four thousand um, dollars. I think good.
1: he said sixty. So they didn't get to sixty in order to pay off. So they all they were able debt. to like ship games and stuff, but all the debt. Wow. Right. That's- so and he was pretty upfront where they already have the games. So what you were actually backing wasn't for the creation of these games. It was for saving his company. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so he he's been saying his official goodbyes. It's really heartwarming and touching, and oh. he actually shared his life story. It's it's been it's been an epic ride. And Patrick Nickel, I hope he always feels welcome to hang out with us anytime because he was one of the happiest guys. At least he made me really happy whenever I saw him. And the old Patrick Nickel hugs crash of games. So that's another sad Kickstarter story. Oh man, look at us. I hope you weren't happy when you started listening to this episode because it's not getting much happier right now.
0: Well, uh, maybe we can save that, I suppose, by going into our topic, which is, hmm. well, well, I since Sean's leading this topic, I don't know how great it'll be, but.
1: Excuse me, Sam, do you have the time? But of course, it be topic time. <laughs>
0: Sean, did, Sean did some traveling. God damn it <laughs> Losing listeners left and right Every crunch that, you t- yeah. <laughs> It was good, it was fun Alan, stop eating chips You
1: got it, SBJ I'll spit those out of my mouth right now <sighs>
2: So yeah, I um Took a little vacation with my girlfriend, Lindsay And we went to New York for a week And while I was there, we got to do some pretty cool Board gaming stuff The first one was, we went to this Um chess shop called Chess Forum, which was really cool, and the owner was super sweet, and we talked about board games and, like, the design of these different chess boards, and I bought one that was, like, for kids. And afterwards, Lindsay and I were walking down the street, and she wanted some coffee. It was late at night, and she was like, we can we go grab some coffee somewhere? And I said, sure. And she said, oh, what about here? And there's a place called The Uncommons um, in Manhattan. And I laughed because just a week before, I'd been emailing the owner of The Uncommons to ship him games of two rooms in a boom because they're a board game cafe in Manhattan and uh, they sell two rooms in a boom there. So like I brought her in as like a surprise, you know? And then I went up and I was like, Hey, you guys have two rooms in a boom. And they're like, no, we're sold out, but we have a demo copy. I'm so sorry. And I was like, oh, I'm just kidding. I make that game. And they were really nice. And they were like, Oh my God, that's so cool. Like, so Classic we got like some snacks there. Star move. Oh yeah. Total, total asshole. <laughs> You guys have any copies of uh, Independence Day in here? Oh, oh, by the way, I'm Will Smith. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so Lindsay and I just hung out, out there and had some snacks, and she had some coffee, and we actually played board games, which her and I don't get to do one-on-one super often, um, but we were at this place, so I was like, well, I'll break out ice cool for her. And uh, she did not like it, and it is not super fun with just two players, but then I also got to take her down this sort of game she'd never played before. I showed her love letter. Uh, which she really liked. Um, though the rules are written kind of confusingly in the AEG version. There's a lot of talk about like discarding and the effect of the card you discard affects other players. Like Things that seem like they could have been easily written in normal language. Like, you play a card. Choose a player that that card has an effect on. But it wasn't. And she very sweetly liked my game Duel better. And then we also played uh, Sushi Go, which she adored. And I figured she would. Go. Sushi, and I use that thing that Alan always does when we play, which is that we say Sushi Go whenever we flip over our cards, Sushi Go, and that makes the game way more fun, and she got really into it, so we had a lot of fun doing that, Uh, but the real sort of extra cool thing that I got to do, that I'm excited to talk to you guys about, was there's a group in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Game Labs, they were introduced to me by Gilhova, who is the sort of creator of, what's the name of his company, Alan something, Ferret?
1: Oh, man, you're busting me. Uh, I want to say formal ferret. Formal
2: ferret. Yep, that's totally right. Yeah. So Gilhova, friend of yours, um, and you introduced me to him, I think, at BGGCon.
1: He's a great guy. Yeah, he does good games. Super
2: Super nice. And I guess he's a Brooklyn native or whatever, and I said, hey, I'm up there a few times a year. And he said, oh, well, you got to come to the Brooklyn Game Labs. And I was like, okay, cool, sure. Because at conventions, people are always saying crazy stuff like that. Like, oh, when you're in town, you should do X, right? Um, But he hopped on it, and he set up an email exchange between me and uh, Bob, the owner and guy who runs um, Brooklyn Game Labs, and he was so excited. He said, hey, our kids – by the way, I should have just explained really quickly. Brooklyn Game Labs is an after-school program uh, in Brooklyn for kids ages like 7 to 14. Um, And you guys remember after-school programs, right, like at your public schools? where you would go and like sit in the cafeteria and have like a cookie and then you'd go like learn piano or typing or something for an hour and a half after school uh and then you'd like bus home at 6 right did you guys ever do anything like that we called Not get to lie
1: day. I'm a little too old for that at least in my neck of the woods I was a straight up latchkey kid which means I would latchkey. go home and there would be nobody there and that was my after school program <laughs> hanging at house by myself. Yeah, I know, I know what
0: you're talking about, Sean. Yeah.
2: Did you do any after school programs? I took piano class. I did and chess. I, I after club, oh, you did chess. Yeah. Are you any good at chess? I, I think I'm pretty good. Ooh, we should play at a Gen Con Origins.
0: All right. I I, and, uh, I love playing chess. I can usually I the problem with chess is you usually get matched with people that are way below your skill level or way above your skill level.
2: Sure. And there's no great handicap system like there is in Go. I've got a super secret project to show you later too. So Brooklyn Game Labs is this after-school program for these kids where they can come and uh, they play board games for a couple hours, but they do so much more than that. And the thing that got me interested in is there's usually like 50 kids at these, every day at this program, at this location, and they love Two Rooms and a Boom. In fact, they have their own version of Two Rooms and a Boom called Two Labs and a Grab, and it's a totally re-themed version For instance, you have a detective and a gem thief. And in this game, it's kind of flopped. The detective is sort of like the bomber because the detective needs to be in the same room as the gem thief at the end of the game to capture the gem thief and win the game. So you have a citizen's team and you have a burglar's team. There's also like getaway drivers, which is kind of like the engineer. There's a witness, which is kind of like the doctor or switch those, you know. Uh, But they have this whole version. They have tons of cards made up for it and they play it all the time. They play it with 50 kids. They use like three or four moderators to help out because they have such a huge disparity in the age, in the age groups, Uh, and and
1: the number of players. And the number of players, yeah,
2: they play with fifty, and it runs just fine. I took a lot of video, and they do great. They implement some rules like um, you have to have seconds uh, for nominations um, because with a group of kids, they might not necessarily think about being persuasive right out the gate. They might just say like, "What about him? I nominate him. I nominate him." Um, So just by introducing, like, somebody has to second your nomination, uh, that cut down a lot of erroneous sort of, like, nomination pointing. They also set some limitations on when you can nominate and when leaders can change. So, like, at a minute, they'll announce that you need to be making last call for nomination switches, and at 30 seconds, they lock it so that whoever is the leader, in the last 30 seconds of the round, you can't switch. Switch it again because the, it just got way too complicated with like trying to send eight people over with a leader who just got elected ten seconds ago, and that leader is also eight years old. You know,
1: I have but- to say, as hosting this at a lot of conventions, that rule is really tempting for clarification. Where there's just a whoop whoop thirty seconds of leader change nominations, and that's it. That's how I imagine it going. Like when there is forty seconds left in the round going whoop whoop now's the time to switch leaders it's your only chance you have 30 seconds and then once that's done only 10 seconds left in the round was it kind of like that is that how they yeah
2: it was kind game? of like that they you know except instead of like whoop whoop it was just the moderators right they had a couple moderators in each room and they would um they projected the time on the walls of each room so like in one room it would be projected on one wall and in the other room it'd be projected on the other side of that wall
1: we got to get just, of them projectors for I the know.
2: conventions. It's just great. And uh, the kids get really into it. And um, they kind of do an interesting thing where there's these yellow cards, which is like the cheese, the mouse, the cat, and I think the getaway driver's dog. And they're playing their own game, sort of like our fugitive one-armed man witness thing, right? That's sort of an expansion. Right. Like this card. But they do that for the younger kids. So the younger kids um, have basically their own game going on inside the major game but they could still contribute, right? Because they need to go here, there, but it, it simplifies their objectives. If you're the cat, you want to get the mouse and you don't want to be gotten by the dog, that kind of thing. And so it sort of in, in, includes them a lot more. So when I went there, I was immediately just blown away with how cool this mm-hmm. really is and and what they're doing here. Uh, they're growing, they're expanding. I think they're opening a new location in Brooklyn maybe later this year or next year or something like that. But so first, what they do is like they all come in, they've just gotten out of school, and they play a game. So when I went there, they played like an hour, 30 minutes to an hour of Terms at the Boom. I think they played three games, something like that. And they just play that, they play that, they play that. Then after that, they do what's called the game lab. And after the game, they do a game lab. My understanding was it was usually about the game they had just played. And they get these little cards and the cards will say, like, expansion idea, lesson learned, rule change, winning tactic, character creation. They're basically these these cards that they fill out with an idea of how they would improve or change the game. Um, and they're split into, like, basically the younger half and the older half at this point. For Terms and a Boom, they all did character creations. So now I'm sitting there, and 50 kids get up, and they pitch, not to me, but to the other kids, new ideas for characters. And I was astounded by, one, the number of young kids that had come up with ideas that we had already come up with but haven't released. And two, just the sheer amount of crit- criticism these kids could take. Not like bad criticism, but just how healthily they could handle critiquing other people's ideas and their own. Because they do it once a week, every week, for a year or more at a time. They just get up in front of the, you know, basically the class and say... My idea is for somebody called the psychopath, and the psychopath wins if he does this. And then somebody raises their hand and says, well, how does that affect okay. this character? Yeah, right? But they've all learned how to be constructive. I think that's something Alan and I have learned in working with a partner is that like it takes time to build that trusting, creative relationship where you can throw out ideas, and the other person will be respectful um, and help bring out what's good about the idea rather than coming from a place of ego and wanting to shoot it down because they need to be the one with the good idea. And it takes a long time to build that in any creative relationship.
1: Or people, I just think I still- in general in society, because I'm amazed how so many people don't realize that their personal taste is just that, their personal taste. So, Absolutely. Man, I wish everyone could learn that.
2: For anybody out there having like lots of political discussions, which like I found are a larger part of my life these days than they used to be, one thing that I've really learned is remembering, like, if your goal is to change this person's mind, you have walked into this conversation, like, with a very stupid goal. It's a lot better to say, like, my goal is to have a better connection with this person and understand where they're coming from more and help them understand where I'm coming from more. Um, Because you don't – nobody changes people's minds in a conversation. Those those things take years. And you do a lot better by saying, like, You know, like I've got this friend and he's like super liberal, super conservative, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he was there for me when X happened and he was there for me when Y happened. And getting to know him, I now understand his values better and where he's coming from. Anyway, Soapbox rant over creatively. That's what these kids have been through. They've been through the ringer. They've gotten up in front of people and pitched creative ideas week in, week out. And that just makes them built out of stone. And I think really is going to prepare them for pretty much any field they want to go get into where you're going to have to pitch a plan so after this, the kids get all these stickers, and they vote on the cards. So like, you can go up and put like your sticker on Alan's idea um, and somebody else's idea. You get two, I think. And any of them that get five, if your idea gets five stickers, then uh, you get a merit for them, right? And merits are like merit badges. They get these cool little stickers that go on their folders, and they're for things like uh, good behavior, great ideas, uh, winning in certain games— there's one that Bob the creator was telling me about that just made my heart melt. There's one, I think called the navigators merit and you get it by introducing a new person who's never been there before and showing them around and teaching them how the whole like class works. Cause there's like 50 kids running around. It's pretty chaotic. And he says, now a new kid never walks in the door without two or three kids walking up to them being like, Hey, my name's Sean. Welcome to Brooklyn game lab. Like, um, you know, cachet where you put your coat and like all this other stuff. And, And that just means that every newcomer that comes in there is instantly like welcomed and, you know, made a part of the fold and made not to feel awkward and gets this great tour of the facility or whatever. And I just thought that was so beautiful. So when they accumulate these merits, uh, they get to do, uh, they, they level up. And one of the first things they get is I think if they get like seven or eight of these merits, they get to join clan and they have these immortal clans. There are five of them. Think, um, sorting hat and Harry Potter. And when they, when they get these eight merit badges or whatever, then they go through this quiz, this like Sorting Hat quiz that places them in their immortal clan that they'll be in for years, for life. They are the Dire Legion, which color is black; the Iron Gate Order, which is blue; the Oak Fist Council, which is green; the Parchwick Academy, which is gray; and the Red Moon Riders,
0: which is red. Well, one sounds like way other... cooler than the others. Oh, does it? What sounds cool to you? The Red Moon Riders. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) What about you,
2: Alan?
0: Uh,
1: No, yeah, Red Moon Riders definitely sound... Although, now that I'm thinking about it, it sounds a little anal. I'm talking sodomy.
2: The Red Moon Riders is more of like the barbarian chaotic group. In fact, he'd shared that when they, like, season one, their first year, the Red Moon Riders were all the wildest kids, and the Iron Gate Order were, were all the, like... Rules, super polite, super quiet kids. And he said that there was a time where they could put no adults on the Iron Gate orders table and they would do everything by themselves just fine. And they'd instead put two adults on the Red Moon Riders table, which I just thought was really funny. Um he says the distinctions have gotten subtler over time. I got to take a quiz um and become an honorary member of one of the councils, which I thought was super cool, and I got really into Uh, Do you guys want to guess which one I was incorporated in? Red Moon Riders. (laughs) I got put in the Dire Legion. That's like the thievey, roguey, backstabby, um, ambitious kind of group. I remember one of the cooler questions I got asked was, uh, who is your favorite hero and who is your favorite villain and who would win in a fight between them and who would you want to win?
1: So it was a fight between me and SBJ. Who do you mm-hmm. think would win? That was and Alan won,
2: out. but I what? wanted SBJ to win. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, Alan actually knows how to fight.
1: Oh, oh I SBJ don't tell people that.
2: Has the ability to reduce Alan to rubble with just a word. So it's tough, you know. If Alan plugs his ears, he could probably he could probably get <laughs> get through SBJ. <laughs> but it was cool. Um, so then they do like this uh, at the end of class. They have this. At this year, um, they have like a season-long game that they're playing. They're playing this huge mega game, and they play it in their groups. They're in their councils, right? Um, or they're in their clans, and they're playing this huge game of Catan that's like projected on the board. But it's got like RPG elements, and um, you're divided into days. So if you're a Tuesday kid, you only go on Tuesdays. You don't go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You just do Tuesdays. But you can communicate with your clan. On the other days, so like the Tuesday group can communicate with the Monday group, et cetera, through this little box that they have, which was super funny because I'm in the Diary Legion group, right? And all these kids are such huge schemers. There's this kid who, <laughs> he was like wrangling them and saying like, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to do this. We need to do that. And there's a box that they can open. And what they can do is they can put Catan resources in the box and take resources out of the box. Um, This way, like they can trade basically within their own clan on the multiple days. But on Tuesday, the group that I was a part of, the Tuesday kids only take out resources and only give Stone back, which I don't know if you play Catan, but Stone is like the shitty resource, I guess. So they never, like, they never help out the other (laughs) days (laughs) because they're that ruthless. And I was like, aren't you going to hurt your clan on the other days? And the, like, sort of the leader of this group said, look, Dire Legion will lose, but Tuesday will win. I was like, damn, these kids are not fucking around. Um, this kid had actually leveled up so much their merits over the course of the years that he had become a deity in the Dire Legion. And he, they bought him this like little miniature that they put in the window. It's like a pumpkin monster or whatever. Another kid that day had gotten enough that he had leveled up and become, I want to say, oh, he had become a legend in the clan and what they do is they they adopt a world wildlife foundation like endangered animal in his name, Brooklyn Game Labs does, and then they get like a um they get a stuffed animal from that. So he they had adopted a hammerhead shark cuz he's in the Dire Legion and he got a hammerhead shark stuffed animal, but also whenever they do role playing games, he now has his character now has a hammerhead shark that he can like summon and ride and use as a pet and a familiar. All this super cool stuff. So anyway, like I was just blown away by the education, the gamification, um, the sort of goodwill. I thought this thing was a net good on the universe. I felt like this should be everywhere it could possibly be. I was amazed at how sharp these kids are and how keen their design senses are. I would have killed for something like this as a kid. Um, Me too. I'm
1: super jelly on so many fronts. One, having that as a kid. Two, Brian is the host of this. That's his name. Uh, Bob, 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 man, Bob, he's living my dream, man. That's oh, like a that. dream come true. Having that gig. And it sounds like he's done amazing things with it. Brilliant. I don't know why Bob isn't infamous. Maybe he is. And I just don't know it, but I think he will be, I think
2: he's going to be like, I don't know. I think this, this program is going to expand and, uh, be in other major cities like that have a lot of public transportation, like Chicago or whatever. And, um, He's probably going to have more in Brooklyn. But, it's yeah, I think it's going to blow up in a huge way. Oh, they also do tons of playtesting. Gil, like, playtests all his games there. I'd like to start sending our games there because these kids will just play these games, and they'll literally send back all their feedback like on these little index cards. Like, here are our ideas. Here's what things we thought you could change. Here's what happened when 50 kids played this game for three weeks straight, you know? Wow. It's insane. Yeah.
0: Any questions? I have... Questions, I guess, but I don't know where to start. You, you just—I know put I covered a lot. So much information on the table. Alan, do you have anything?
1: No, you covered it, Sean. I don't know how you left that place. I would love All to right. have yeah. just the cool thing is about with playtesting with kids in the after-school program. It's a trusted demographic. As weird as that sounds, like I, I'm not Absolutely. scared of someone trying to really jerk me around, and if they did. I could see that being a teaching moment and encouraging it rather than them, I don't know, running away and publishing it with just another title, not to be fearful or anything like that. The
2: worst playtesters are other game designers, by far. By far. Is that what you're saying?
1: Unfortunately, yeah, that's exactly what I'm yeah, saying. It's true. I guess the, only thing, the only thing I'd worry about is the demo. I would. I would, st- if I was in Bob's position, I would start just designing games specifically for that audience since that's what I did all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just, I, even hearing this story, I just want to get in there and start designing games for these after school kids.
2: Oh, me too. And here's the thing these kids, they don't play like kid versions of games. He said one time they tried to get them to play Catan Jr., and the kids rioted. They had to call it Catan Pirates because these kids, Play games and then go toe to toe on any complicated game. I saw Seven Wonders in there. I saw you know everything. They're playing. They're playing it all. They're not playing like dumbed down kid versions of games. They are playing all the board games that are coming out right now. Um,
1: now you're interested, may- SBJ. They have Seven Wonders.
2: Ugh, I'm the, uh, <laughs> questions closed. <laughs> it made me this and a video I saw about Nintendo on a Game Maker's Toolkit really made me want to focus on games that are accessible at every level and and yield something new like no adult thinks a mario game is for kids right mario games are just fun period um and i think that's what this taught me which is that one kids have the ability to play board games way greater than maybe we give them credit for but two don't add obstacles or barriers to entry to any of your games whether that's like thematic or um and how big your rule book is or whatever like our goal should be to get our games played by as wide a group as possible and for those um for those people that play our games to be able to like to to meet different things at different levels you know
1: i'm still flabbergasted because i almost pride myself on designing all these games for 50 plus players thinking oh there's so few people but then here's bob living the dream where i only get to do it on halloweens and special conventions i only get to do it about five times a year and bob's doing it every freaking day is that right
2: so there's a monday class tuesday wednesday thursday and friday and they're all different groups he said they had tried um having it be like a week-long thing and like one it would just be way too expensive for the parents but two the kids get burnt out because it's an intense like couple hours and if you're going in playing board games Every day, you're not like as excited and looking forward to it as you are if you're just like, it's your Tuesday activity.
1: Yeah, but Bob's you know? doing it every day. Um, Jeez, Bob, you are an immortal. I would get burnt out is. so fast.
2: It's a lot of work. Now, what's nice is it's only from 3 to 6, right? The kids are only there for a couple of hours, and it's a lot. Um, after that, there's open gaming for like adults at the game lab um, until like 10 or so. But in the morning, they come in and they work on... The graphic design, he's a great graphic designer. The lesson plans, you know, the games, uh, all that sort of stuff. They've got to, like, learn games, teach the games. He's got a staff there. I want to say, like, 20 or 30, like, teacher, helper, volunteer. Not volunteers, they're paid. But, like, he's got a staff there of people who are, like, helping with all these things. And they were all super friendly, super great. One of them said, um, as I was leaving, that he was really grateful because he had gotten a date based on Two rooms and a Boom. Like, he played Two rooms and a Boom so well, and he came off really charming and, like... <laughs> Machiavellian that that had landed him a date, and he would always be forever grateful for us for that nice just just a super cool um super cool group definitely was one of those like eye opening moments that was like one, if there's any reason like Tuesday night games is not the most fun thing in the world, we are like idiots because it can be, and it's really up to us because there are other people out there doing like it's like. Designing games is a dream job, you know, and that's it's like funny when you're like, whoa, this guy's living the dream. And then you're like, what am I talking about? We design games like we're living the dream. True. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'd love to do a whole episode, though, on why game designers are bad play testers.
1: Not of their own work, <laughs> but of other people's. You know, it could be another whole episode is how Kama Sutra is ranked number one BGG hotness list right now. Oh, my gosh.
2: Any regrets? Any regrets?
1: No, but that's a story we should probably share with our Tuesday Naves. Whether we do it this episode or not, I think that's up to Uh, SBJ.
0: Let's do it in the future. Yeah, let's do it in the future. Let's see if it holds its number one hotness. Because I don't know the full story. I just know what you guys were talking... I know slightly what you guys were talking about yesterday, so I would assume that's... We'll dig into it, yeah. Yeah. I would assume that's a conversation. Well, thank you, Sean. That was my invention. Yeah, Yeah, sharing. That's cool. Uh, Let's move on to Table Talk. Uh... Yeah, Table Talk. And... uh, Alan, what have you been playing? I played the XCOM expansion
1: for... Well, the expansion for the XCOM, the board game, Evolution. Which was amazingly crazy, but easy to digest. It seemed overwhelming, but ended up to be just as difficult... Slash smooth as the original so it was just more intense with
0: how it's
1: an expansion yeah
0: many times have you played the original
1: i'd say a solid five times i've played the original and every time is a pretty memorable experience this is my first time switching jobs because normally i was the squad leader which is the guy that gets to control the miniature soldiers going into either the oh, base. oh that one's hard Or on a mission. Yeah. And I always thought that was one of the hardest roles. And this time I said, you know what? I'm going to be the science engineers. And I thought the science officers had the easiest job. And that's usually we would give the new player that would be coming in the science job. Yeah. But I did a really crappy job, I thought, being the (laughs) science officer. And I realized, oh, there's more depth to this than I realized than it looks like from afar.
2: I think with the science officer, why we think that it's easier is for those of you who don't know, the science officer's job is improving technologies, is their job is makes, if they do their job right, it makes your jobs easier. Um, And if they do their jobs wrong, nothing necessarily terrible happens, but your jobs continue to be as hard as they already were. So I think like there's a long way to go to grow as a science officer where you can really optimize what are what are valuable and invaluable tech trees to go down. Whereas like, if you're playing the squad leader and you fuck up a mission, it's very obvious that you're costing everyone tons of resources. Um, So I think that's the difference is like failure of the science officer looks like not as much good stuff, but that's actually very, very bad for you because you have to get ahead of the curve because the game's so stacked against you. Does that seem, does that ring true to your experience?
1: Yeah, the funny thing is with the science team is that if they fail at trying to do research, their scientists get sleepy and fall asleep. Whereas when Uh you're a squad leader, if you fail a mission, all of your soldiers die that are on that mission, and they're so expensive to get back. Especially if you spent the time upgrading them and training them to be elite. Oh man, just seeing them die is so painful. But the science team, they just wake up. In the round after next, anyway. So, any scientists that fall asleep, they just take a good old nap and they come back.
2: Scientists get sleepy. It's true. (laughs) It's really exhausting making up stuff about global warming. Did you.
1: (laughs) Did I what? I'm sorry, SBJ. Did
0: you like the expansion?
1: All right. So the expansion, I could elevator pitch it if you want, or I can just tell you in short that it seems to throw just a whole bunch more hard shit your way because the game's already really hard. And this is the main thing it does is that there is these exalt tokens because basically the story behind the game is that there is this group of people that are taking advantage of the chaos that is going on with an alien invasion, and therefore they're looting and trying to get all sorts of power grabs. So now, if you are in an area or doing a job where Exalt is influencing, instead of rolling a D8, now you have to roll a D6. And remember, the job is you have to roll greater than a number that increases. So on a D8, you have a 1 and 8 chance to fail the first time, a 2 and 8 chance the second time because it just goes up by one digit. But if you have a six-sided die, oh, man! So it just seems like the game's that much harder. But then I remember, oh, they give you some stuff to help you out too. For instance, there's new things you can research in science. And also there's now these awesome mech troopers that are awesome. They're really good at everything, any mission you put them on, and they look like they're straight out of aliens in a mech suit. That's cool. But there's only three, but they don't cost any resources to make. The scientists just have to research them. So it it, it evens out, actually.
2: I don't like design choices where it's like, let's just make the probabilities harder. We'll just go from a D8 to a D6. Now it's harder. Done. (laughs) Expansion (laughs) finished. I'm not saying that's what they did, but like stuff like that always sort of like frustrates me. It's like, yeah, you can just tweak the numbers any direction you want, but like, what are you changing about the inherent gameplay that's different? You know?
1: It was funny because we play with our friend Reed, and someone asked again, what does this Exalt token do? And I just said, six-sided die instead of eight-sided die. And Reed gives his typical sigh, <sighs> no, what's going on is sinister humans of the Exalt seek to take advantage of the chaos to infiltrate and destroy XCOM from within. So they're trying yeah. to creating a new challenge. And so he paints this picture, and I have to give it to Reed, so much more fun understanding like, oh shit, now it's even harder because we have these crappy humans messing with us as well as these aliens, damn it. So you can spend a success to get rid of the exalt token. So we would always, even after we did a mission, yay, we did it. We'd have to say, do you want to keep on going and try to get rid of the exalt in the area so you can start using the eight-sided die next time? Anyway, so that's like the mechanic base versus the theme base. So Reed really approached it from theme, and it did
0: add to the experience. That's great. Sean, do you play anything else that you didn't mention earlier?
2: Uh, Lindsay and I are always playing Play to 3000. I played some chess. Uh, we play spoons a lot with her niece and nephew. We played spoons last night. Also, uh, for Christmas I got, um, and we just did Christmas with her, her niece and nephew last night, I got uh, her niece who is six. I want to say six or seven. Um, we got her a fake artist goes to New York. because She loves to draw. And she's just at, she's I- in first grade, so she's learning like... Writing and reading and all that sort of stuff. And we played that last night and they had a blast. Although, this thing with kids is like, she wanted to be the person who picked the words and she wanted to stack the deck to where she was the fake artist. And then she wanted to play normally and like win. And it was hard, like, it was hard explaining to her that, like, that's just not a game. Like, that's just you stacking the deck to totally demolish everyone for no (laughs) reason. It's like, but I want to. It's like, right, that's not even. That's not even like allowed within the parameters of anything we're talking about here. It's just cheating, um, but they don't think of it that they that way. They think like, wouldn't it be awesome to to know the words and have nobody know that you know the words and to win? Like that's they're thinking of it as like a strategy. You know, that's like,
1: insider. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, it is insider. Maybe I should have gotten her that. Um, Let me ask you a question, show. Oh, and then I like playtested Secret Project C and X.
1: Oh, C. I haven't heard of Secret Project C. Oh, I'm excited. My question is going to be really quick. You say you play spoons with your family a lot, or Lindsay's family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did Mm -hmm. you back Witch Slap, or will you play Witch Slap with them, which is the prolific game's attempt at making spoons with abilities? I have a copy of Witch Slap actually sitting across from me right now. Is it on Kickstarter? It was. It came and went. It funded successfully, so uh, I haven't heard an update but I know they're not late. Those guys are never late. But, yeah, I'm wondering why not try Witch Slap? Is it just a little bit too much? To I don't introduce stuff?
2: Spoons. Spoons is like a family thing. They've, like, I came in, they're like, let's play Spoons! Ah. Um, uh, does that, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's something they do. I'll probably introduce Witch Slap to them at some point. Oh, wow, they did really good with this. The illustrations are gorgeous. Um,
1: oh, you're looking at Witch Slap right now
2: on Kickstarter? I miss a lot of Kickstarter projects these days. I'm just like, I'm always on your profile, like working on updates or whatever. And I'm just like, not really seeing anything. Um, last thing I backed was a pitch deck from Alex Haig. And Which then the last thing right I now, yeah. that was his trump cards. Um, but yeah, that's all I've played. A lot of play testing, a lot of little games, you know, Um uh, excited to show every sushi go. I'll, I'm probably going to, I haven't picked up a copy of that yet, Ooh, but since Lindsay likes it so much,
0: I'm gonna buy it. Sushi go is great,
1: real
2: good. Oh yeah, but not sushi go
0: No, maybe, and may, again, my whole problem with that is maybe I just don't know how to read rule books. But it wasn't isolated to you. We had the same problem at Gen
1: Con. So if it happens once, I can guarantee it ha- happens elsewhere.
0: All right. Well, I think uh, I think that's it. Right. All wrapped up like a mummy. <laughs> great. Uh, Alan. Where can our listeners find you?
1: You can find me on the tweets or on the Facebook. I'm uh, at Alan Gerding. A-L-A-N-G-E-R. Ding!
2: And Sean? You can find me on Twitter at, at Sean McCoy. S-E-A-N-M-C-O-Y.
0: Great. You can follow me on Twitter at dragging a Lake, and you can follow Tuesday Night Games on Twitter at PlayTKG. And if you have any questions comments or concerns you can email the podcast at tuesday night game podcast at tuesdaynightgames.com and yeah otherwise i think this episode is finished
1: yay